Heavenly Father, we pray for your blessing on your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a phrase or sentiment lost in translation? Your words misunderstood by their hearers? Well, apparently it's been a bad week for Amazon. They had a launch in Sweden, but managed to botch its message in translation. On its new site, it mixed up Sweden's flag with that of Argentina. It described a baking mold as suitable for poo, goose water, and bread. It referred to Calvin Klein boxer shorts as men's luggage trunks. And it translated the name of the computer game Need for Speed Payback as do you require speed, here's a refund. <laughs> what do you hear when someone says Sabbath? Often maybe it gets lost in translation. In my teenage years, I remember hearing the lead singer on a live album that I was listening to introduce his next song with a, a vague reference to religion. He said, you've heard about religion, all that washing your car on a Sunday, he probably went on to mean putting on your best suit and looking respectable for your neighbours. His phrase suggests that his only experience of Christians was looking respectable on a Sunday, putting on a Sunday suit. I wonder how much of that seeps into our experience too, how much of it even seeps into this passage in Jesus' day. What is our, our idea of Sunday or Sabbath? And more intriguingly this morning, did Jesus observe it or not? Did he in fact flagrantly disobey God? Because that's what he's accused of in this passage. So we have three main headings that we're going to look at this passage on uh, this morning. Uh, a Sabbath breaker, or is he? A blasphemer, or is he? A suspect in for questioning, or is he really? Do you want to get well, Jesus says to the man. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. Can you imagine that picking up the mat that he'd lain on for 38 years was breaking the Sabbath? That's what they accused him of. Pick up your mat and walk, and he did. And they said, you're breaking the Sabbath. Now in a moment we'll see why they thought that and where they went wrong. But our first point this morning is the Judeans, the Jewish leaders, thought they were hot on the trail of a Sabbath breaker. They were going to get their man. You can imagine a hot pursuit as in the, the TV programs we used to watch. But to understand the meaning for today, we need to understand the meaning back in those times. Because we do see that there are bits of scripture that they are basing this on. In Genesis, God, God rested for, from creation on the seventh day. And in recognition of this, Moses was given the commandment that man was to keep it as a holy day, to honor his creator and not to do any work. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, this is what the Lord says, be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath. In Nehemiah chapter 13, it says, in those days I saw people in Judah trading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all the other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. Remember, too, that Jesus did clear the temple. 
When Jesus cleared the temple courts, he objected that the place, which was to be a place of prayer for all nations, was being used by the traders. They were actually in the wrong place. They should have been outside the temple. At this time, he didn't say that the trade was wrong or that the temple sacrificial system was wrong, but it was preventing people from knowing God. And that's what got him angry. As a side point, I don't think God is a fan of Sunday trading, but let us not get so caught up in the practice that we miss the principle, as these Judeans did. You see, Sabbath means not working to further your own wealth, not feeling that your wealth depends solely on your own efforts working nonstop. It demonstrates that wealth and health and anything worthwhile in life depends on God and not on us. It is trusting that we'll get by without having to compromise in our service to God. Jesus hasn't actually broken the Sabbath here. There's another thing which uh, you might have noticed, but uh, his hearers didn't actually notice. There's, there's something else that they've missed here. The man said, the man who made me well told me to pick up my mat. They seem to have missed the miracle completely. Talk about not seeing the wood for the trees. They're worried about a man carrying a mat, a, a Sabbath infringement, uh, but they seem to ignore the fact that he's just been healed after 38 years. So again, let us not miss out on the miracles trying to uh, center on the practice. You see, the emphasis of the Sabbath to Jesus was time spent with God. In healing on the Sabbath and telling the man to pick up his bed, Jesus wasn't telling him to miss time worshiping God, to make himself some money. The Sabbath teaching concerned abstaining from work in order to worship God. But the Judeans wrongly applied this to prohibiting, prohibiting a man carrying his only possession away from the place where he had been held an invalid for 38 years. You know, I don't think the man was even walking. I think the man was dancing. Can you imagine being stuck on a mat for 38 years and you get a chance to walk? You're not just going to walk, you're going to dance. And legalistic people don't do joy, do they? Because they're still imprisoned. They aren't forgiven and free. So beware the kind of people who aren't open to God's miracles, but who will criticize you for the small stuff. The healed man wasn't working. He was displaying God's glory. So the Judeans asked the man, who is this fellow who told you to pick up, pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. What he's saying is, look, I've healed you, but you're not yet saved. You haven't dealt with your sin. Now, we don't know if the man did or not, but remember that these signs and miracles are signs towards salvation. They're not in and of themselves what the message is. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Judeans began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Ah, we've got a blasphemer here. They must have been, you know, full, full of glee here because they've found this blasphemer, or have they? Well, yes, they have in a way. The, the answer was clear. Jesus was claiming deity, that God was his father. He also clarified that when God gave the Sabbath as a day of rest, he didn't stop sustaining creation. He didn't stop doing miracles. He didn't stop revealing himself, healing people, saving people. 
And Jesus was just doing the same. This was also a dig at the Judeans. Men cannot heal the sick. So this was obviously God. What Jesus had done in healing the man couldn't be classified as work. He didn't fix a pothole or mend a fence. Jesus carried on the creative power of his father. So in their pious pretense of trying to make sure no one offended God, they missed the fact that God had just paid them a visit. So let us not miss the wood for the trees. The Judeans were so worried about being respected by their colleagues, they left God out of the picture. You see, self-awareness wasn't their strong point. They were acting independently of God, the very thing that they accused Jesus of doing. You know, history turns up a lot of people claiming to be acting on God's behalf and God's instructions when their actions suggest otherwise. I don't know about you, but I've found the closer I get to God, the more nervous I get, the less arrogant I get, and the more earnestly I listen. See, arrogance isn't a fruit of the Spirit, so be wary of arrogant people. But the Judeans, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what his Father is doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Do you hear the repetition of the word Father? I had a lovely glimpse into this last week because I was in one room and my wife Anita was in another room and I could overhear her on the phone. And next thing I heard, oh, Johnny this and Johnny said this and Johnny did this. Now that's all I heard and I got a little bit nervous because I wasn't sure if I'd done something silly during the week or, or I was being told on, but, but hopefully I wasn't. But isn't it true that whenever you live with someone that their very being seeps into their, your conversation and seeps into your experience? And that's what Jesus is showing here. The Father and he are so close together. He's actually a, a glowing example of this Sabbath, of this time with God. Then we see the third point this morning because here the Judeans think they have the, their culprit in for questioning. They've finally cornered him. The hot pursuit is over and here they are questioning him. Or is he questioning them? Because he says, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, which is Jesus, and those who hear will live. He's actually questioning them because he has the words of eternal life and they're rejecting him. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. See, Jesus demonstrates that the Jews' future hope of raising from the dead and the judgment to come, they're starting right now. Jesus is giving life both physically and spiritually. He's executing judgment for his people accept or reject the message he proclaims they are now condemned or vindicated. And that's the way it is since Jesus came uh, 2,000 years ago. We are now in that state of responding to his message. Do not be amazed at this, for the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. He's talking here about eternal life. So obviously they want to know what authority he's speaking on. 
And Jesus preempts this. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. What he means is that in a court of law, you don't represent yourself because of course you're going to see it from your own point of view. So you need witnesses, you need evidence. But what testimony does he give? Well, Jesus gives, uh, he talks about John the Baptist. He talks about uh, uh, John actually talking about him being the Messiah. He talks about the scripture that these people are even relying on. And he talks about the signs and wonders that he's committing. So all this different proof he presents and still they won't listen. They listened to John while they liked what, he, what they heard and stopped when they didn't. John pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And if they'd listened to John, they'd have followed Jesus. Jesus says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You see, there's something to be said for the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. He warms our heart when we hear scripture. He gives us peace in times of trouble. He gently guides us into the way that he has prepared for us to do. Now, I'm not saying that we have the truth inside ourselves necessarily, as some of the pop songs would, would tell you nowadays, but in salvation, when we repent and are saved, the Holy Spirit does dwell in us and leads us into the way of truth. So we have a Lord and Savior who's recreating us, who's continuing to do this great creative power of Genesis. And here, Jesus gets to his point. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. In other words, you're quoting Moses to me, but here's what Moses said. Moses says in Deuteronomy, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. Guess what? That's Jesus. You see, so many religious people get the t-shirt, but never bother to read the book. The book itself is the word of God. It leads us towards God. But we don't put it like the Ark of the Covenant on, on two poles and carry it above our heads. We read it to find Jesus and to find God. And we interpret it through, through Jesus and through God. You see, the Judeans knew their Moses, their Jeremiah and their Nehemiah, but they completely missed their Messiah. Jesus got lost in translation because they wouldn't listen. They thought their Old Testament heroes would come and commend them, but their Old Testament heroes, if they were there, they would fall on their faces before Jesus and worship him. But you know, there's no greater fool than a warned fool, and we're all warned here this morning. If you don't this morning recognize in your heart and spirit and scripture and the witnesses that have come before that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, and that we can live today and Sabbath rest with him and the Father, then we're no better than the Judeans who treated a miracle for a mat-carrying infringement. Note to the closeness between Jesus and God, which he tries to get across to them. Jesus acts in complete love and obedience to God. There's nothing Jesus does that isn't what God would do and what would please and honor God. So whenever God initiates this Sabbath, this time set apart to be with God, Jesus is actually fulfilling that completely because he's saying it's not one day in seven, it's actually all days in seven because Jesus is in constant communion with God. So while we get caught up sometimes in the practice of the Sabbath and how we observe it, let us not miss the point of it. And the principle is that we can be in God's presence and that comes through Jesus.
So whenever Jesus is healing and, and glorifying God, he's actually continuing that, that idea of Sabbath, that being in God's presence. Are we in constant communion with God as he is? You see, don't follow uh, the practice and miss the principle. Jesus didn't break the Sabbath of the Old Testament. He did ignore a false application of it, and nor was the healed man working, according to Jeremiah or Nehemiah. He was actually praising God. The Sabbath is a useful, a God-given principle, but there's so much more in this passage. Jesus didn't come to do away with the principle of a Sabbath, a time with God. Jesus, by his death, enables a continual Sabbath, a continual relationship with God, where he's talking about the Father all the time in his conversation. That's what he offers us. Speak to someone this morning, socially distanced, if you don't have this love, this, this sense of his communion with, with God. Because this is what Jesus gives us. Jesus came to declare the kingdom, to declare uh, the start of, of eternal life and, and presence with him. He offers forgiveness and salvation this morning, a continual Sabbath communion with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it, indeed it offers a continual Sabbath. And we pray, Lord, for every head bowed and everyone listening to this, Lord, that same communion uh, with God, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Johnny, thank you. Shall we stand together? We're going to declare our faith in the words of the creed that will come up on the screen. The fact that our salvation comes through God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. I believe in God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful gift of life. We thank you for the gift of everlasting life in Jesus Christ, for the gift of eternal life that we can taste in the here and now by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you thanks that you've revealed all of this through your Son and his Spirit, Jesus Christ. Amen. So remain standing as the band lead us in what a beautiful name.